We're in the uh, uh, first vision in Zechariah uh, chapter 1, and we saw last week what, uh, what he saw. There was a, a rider and myrtle trees and uh, different colored horses and uh, horses of multiple colors, and they were in a uh, ravine or a, a, a glen. And uh, we did uh, note that uh, there are, are many, many views of what are the myrtle uh, what do the myrtles mean and the red horse and this and that and uh, uh, we kind of left that up to uh, uh, the uh, speculation of others and the things that other people might uh, uh, say they could be uh, because uh, it's just mentioned in the vision and then never mentioned again and we'll see uh, that the end of the vision is a clear message to, to God's people and there's nothing about uh, trees or uh, uh, colors of horses uh, in the prophecy that's given to Zechariah. Uh, I would like to just uh, talk about uh, one of the factors that's involved here is that some people uh, see uh, just uh, two angels or two people speaking with Zechariah. Uh, I happen to agree with those that see three. So uh, people that see two, it's the angel that speaks to Zechariah and it's the rider of the horse, who then is also the angel of the Lord. If you uh, look at the three people or three characters, it's the rider on the horse. He's described as riding first. It's the angel of the Lord. He's described as standing. And then it's the interpreting angel, the uh, angel who uh, talked with me. So if you follow through from uh, uh, verse 9, uh, uh, Zechariah has his question, what are these? What are these? And the angel that talked with me says, I'll show you. And then we get to verse uh, 10 and 11. And the man standing among the myrtle, which I would say is the angel of the Lord, explains who the rider and the horses are, that they were commissioned by Yahweh. And then the riders answered to uh, the angel of the Lord, who is standing among the myrtle trees. So that they give a report back to uh, the angel of the Lord. And uh, 11b, uh, the end of verse 11 is, We have patrolled the earth, uh, that is, we, the company of riders. And then the angel of the Lord uh, prays and intercedes for Jerusalem and Judah, and Yahweh answers that prayer. And I prefer this view because of the, the position uh, of the angel of the Lord and the, the, the focus on him. There's a, a, a prominence there. He's standing among uh, the myrtle trees. If you would notice, if you would think of that, these riders come and he's standing there already and they give a report to him. If he's one of the riders, how does he give a report? How does he t turn and ask what have they been doing? I, I guess that was one of the things that I uh, was trying to think through. Uh, there's a dialogue also, and it strongly suggests these three parties that, that are involved. And uh, the, the uh, angel of the Lord knows their mission. And the, uh, one of the things that uh, tipped the scales for me was this prayer of intercession. He prays to Yahweh and, uh, and asks. And then uh, finally, though, uh, the angel of the Lord just disappears. He's not mentioned anymore. Uh, I was reading in, in Judges and a similar thing happened with, uh, with Manoah 
and uh, Samson's wife, her name is, or Samson's mother, her name is never mentioned. But they have this appearance about deliverance, and then the person just disappears. And the wife actually says, we, we've seen the angel of the Lord, we're, we're, we're going to be slain. And the husband says, well, we would have been slain already. Uh, but uh, it's, it's not unusual uh, for these uh, 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 visions or angels of the Lord. You remember Joshua, right? The captain of the army comes. And the next thing you know, uh, he, he's gone as well. So uh, I believe there are, are, are three characters that in this vision, not, not just two. And uh, we'll just go right back over it. Here's the response. I'll tell you what's going on. Uh, it is uh, by the angel that speaks. He answers the question and tells Zechariah that what they are. And the angel of the Lord says, these are they that Yahweh sent. And then the writers answer these uh, special forces, as it were. Uh, they give a report. And the report says, behold, we looked around, right? Behold, this is a stop, take notice, think about this. Uh, all the earth uh, remains at rest. And uh, there, there's uh, some discussion about that because, uh, the, you know, the, how is the earth at rest? Uh, that, that's the question that they ask. So there was the destruction of the northern kingdom years earlier. There's the destruction of the southern kingdom and uh, Jerusalem. You remember the Babylonians and the, and the city of Nineveh were destroyed. And now the, the Persian Empire rules and, and uh, uh, dominates the scene. And that's as quiet as you can get uh, that the, the earth uh, is at rest. Uh, the command to rebuild and then the, the rebuilding was delayed. Uh, it's as if this vision is saying, look. Now is the time to get this work done. You, you can't rebuild the temple if the Babylonians are besieging the, the Jerusalem. You can't build it if they're occupying that space. But now there's relative rest. You can work now. You can build now. You can do what you're supposed to do uh, now. And uh, we also saw before that Yahweh has put in place prophets like Haggai and Zechariah leaders like Ezra and Nehemiah, Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest. He's put uh, leaders in place. He's given his people his words of encouragement. You remember uh, Haggai, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of uh, words of encouragement. But then how do we understand the vision? Did God really need to send horsemen out to know what was going on? And you would say, well, no, the answer is no. God is omnipresent. He sees all nations and, and all hearts and all times. He knows everything. Uh, several verses underscore this. Job 34, 21. His eyes are on the ways of men and he sees all his steps. God sees everything. He takes it into his view and understands everything that's going on. Psalm 11 and verse 4, probably more familiar to us. Yahweh is in his holy temple. Yahweh's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. Every day, I am under the gaze, under the eye of God, and he tests me and looks at me and understands what I'm all about. Psalm 66, 7, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. 
Proverbs 5.21, a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. They're literally right there in front of his face. They're before the eyes of the Lord. And he, Yahweh, ponders all his man's uh, paths. He knows it. He knows everything. Why, why did we have a vision about people patrolling? It's, it's for God's people, isn't it? God knew everything that was going on. God orchestrated everything that was going on. He made it happen. What are the nations to God? It's, it's interesting when you think about it. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15 says, Nations to God are a drop in the bucket. They're like dust on the scales. Uh, Acts 17, 26 tells us, He planned where every nation was going to be, the boundaries, the borders, set their times, and set everything. Isaiah 45 or 46, 9 through 11, he says, I'm the Lord. I declare the beginning from the end. No one can do anything except what, what I want to happen. That's what he says. So not only is Yahweh omnipresent, he sees all, but he controls all. And if these things are true, why are the visions? It, it was to encourage God's people. It was to let them know. Now's the time to build. I've sent out. I've sent out these horsemen, whatever the colors might mean. I've sent them out, and I'm here to tell you, now's the time to build. There's relative peace and quiet. You can't build if you're under siege. You can't build if uh, somebody else is occupying. And then in the fulfillment, notice, there's no mention of the color of the horses or myrtle trees or the ravine or anything else. And we can leave that to others, right? We were encouraged that Dr. Sproul said in a message when there was four choices of an interpretation, he said, I don't know, you can go home and think about it. So, that, so that's good. And when you figure out what the color of the horses mean, you can let us know. So now comes the intercession uh, of the angel of the Lord. This is the important part to me. These riders, why would they intercede? Why would they have the authority to pray? But it says the angel of the Lord does. Gets the report, understands what's going on, and it says he addresses Yahweh as Yahweh of hosts. In the, in the fullness of your name, Yahweh, I address you. The angel of the Lord says that. How long will you not show mercy? And then the time frame, he says, these 70 years. Now, why would the angel of the Lord pray that? He probably doesn't he understand God's time frame. But we can be encouraged because that would be our prayer, isn't it? That was the people's prayer. How long is this going to last? How long are our enemies going to dominate us? And the angel of the Lord is praying God's people's prayers. We ask that at a prayer meeting, don't we? Jesus, take our prayers and bring them to the throne of grace. You might have to fix them up. The Spirit might have to speak in groans that, that can't be uttered by us. We don't know. But this prayer is really God's people's prayer at that time. And the angel of the Lord is expressing exactly what God's people would, would say. How long is this going to last? How long is this 70 years you haven't shown mercy to us? And then God comes right away with the answer. Uh, verse 13, it says, God answered with gracious and comforting 
words. And, and that's like the broadest expression of the words. They were gracious and comforting. That's the broad answer. Yahweh's words to his people. Yahweh's words in, in Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Uh, it's interesting section in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul talks about the God of all comfort. And nine times, nine times in like three or four verses, there's comfort, comforts, comforted. And it's almost like, it's like every other word. We're comforted with the comfort that God comforts his people with. And we were like, well, okay, I get the idea. Well, that's what God wants the people there to do. Where are they? They're in the middle of building a temple. Their enemies were all around. They just had enemies go to the authorities and say, stop this building stuff. Tell them to stop. And they did. And now they had to start all over again. Where are they? They need comfort. Uh, they need help. So the, the broad scope is that God is going to speak gracious and comforting words in answer to the prayer of the angel of the Lord. That's important. But look what he tells uh, Zechariah to do. He says, cry out. It's in verse 14 and verse 17. Cry out. Lift up your voice. Proclaim. Call out loudly. Tell the people what's going on. And then, thus says Yahweh of hosts. The answer to the prayer is what God is going to tell the people. He says, cry out and tell them what Yahweh of hosts has planned. Tell them what Yahweh of hosts is doing. And the broad scope is these words are gracious and comforting. The first thing that he says is, I am exceedingly jealous. Uh, we mentioned it a little bit at the men's meeting yesterday. God's jealousy for himself. Uh, this is one of those doubled Hebrew words. He's jealous with great jealousy. It's doubled. We don't, we don't talk like that. It's doubled. His protection of his people, it's intensified. Chapter, uh, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, he, he, he basically uh, goes on to say uh, similar things. Then the word of Yahweh of hosts came, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, I am jealous with great jealousy for Zion, and with great wrath I am jealous for her. And then he says, I'll, I'll return. Uh, I'm, I'm coming, uh, he says. I'm answering your, your prayers. I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem uh, and uh, Zion. Uh, it's not grasping uh, jealousy. It's not desiring jealousy, but, but it's a a holy and protective jealousy. God protects his honor. He protects his people. He tells the people in Deuteronomy over and over again, Yahweh your God is a consuming fire. That's the, the passage that's in Hebrews also. A jealous God. It's, it's in the warnings of, of idolatry. We, we get jealous, right? The, the, the picture is, the picture is, you're my wife, you're my uh, girlfriend, you're my friend, and somebody else is taking your affections away. And God says, no, I'm jealous for that. You worship me. 
you don't go to anybody else. I'm jealous to preserve that. And I'll tell you right now, I'm a consuming fire because you stray from me at the hazard of your soul, of your life. He tells him in Deuteronomy 5 verse 9, I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, and I visit the iniquity on those. Deuteronomy 6 verse 15, Yahweh, your God, in your midst is a jealous God. That's the, the, the person who needs to fear God, and destruction is promised to those people. Ezekiel 36, 6, he has jealous wrath. Uh, that's in the uh, chapter 8 also. And he's also jealous for his name. He preserves his name, protects his name, keeps his name. He's the only one that has the right to say, you don't use the Lord's name in vain. You speak the Lord's name the way it's supposed to be spoken. Don't ever use it in an offhanded way. You don't ever detract from my glory because I'm jealous for my name. He's the only one that has the right to say that. So he's not only jealous, but there is his object, Jerusalem and Zion. Physical places with spiritual significance. That's what they are. Build the temple and then what's going to happen? We saw it in, in Ezra. Then they're going to celebrate. Then they're going to start worshiping again. Then they're going to praise the Lord and bless the Lord. Then they're going to have their lives back together, right? Not only physically, but then, then spiritually. That was important. One time in New Jersey, we had, a, we, we had one of those 100-year floods. That, and then it happened three times in 10 years. But we had the 100-year flood. There was, there was water in the church up to your waist, and then it subsided the next day. And uh, I never saw anything like that before. I went uh, uh, with the pastor to go down and see the damage. And the National Guard was there and police was there. And there was stuff just strewn all over the place. Stuff out of people's garages, stuff out of people's sheds. We couldn't even find our little shed that we had behind the, the building. Trees and bushes were bent over like crazy. And you look, what is this? What's going on? It was staggering, the, the damage. These people, these people lived in something like that. They lived and just looked around them and, and said, this is terrible. The, 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 the thing we had to do then was find another place. All the walls had to be cut. Everything had to be bleached. All the furniture, had, hundreds of books were ruined, but we had to meet in a new place. That, that's what happened to these people. They were displaced and God's saying, get it back together. I'm jealous for Jerusalem. I'm jealous for Zion. I want it to be the way it was before. And that's what he's saying. It's a spiritual, a physical, physical places with spiritual significance. The immediate goal to temporarily restore the temple and his worship. These are gracious and comforting words. I'm, I'm jealous for this to happen. God desires it to happen. Verse 15, verse 15, he's exceedingly angry with the nations, 
with great I, anger, I am angry. And you see, he mentions because they're at ease. And that's what uh, we, we've seen repeatedly in the prophets, haven't we? The one prophecy talked about Babylon and said, Nineveh, they're at ease. They got all the spoil in there. They have all these goods. They have everything. They're like, uh, they're, remember the illustration was like a lion and, the, and, their, and their, their brood, their family. Nobody goes up to a lion and says, hey, hey, what are you doing? Start poking. But that was the picture. And God says, well, I'm, gonna, I'm sending lions against you. But God says they're at ease. They finished conquering and now they're just resting. Babylon rested first. And then Nineveh was destroyed. And now the Persian Empire, God says, uh, it's kind of quiet. Well, you remember, he can cause upheaval anytime he wants. The, the Daniel prophecy, the guy takes the cups from the temple and there's writing on the wall. Party's over. Literally, it says the guy's knees were knocking together. You, you messed with the wrong thing. They, they killed him that day. And somebody else took over. But they rested. But God is angry because they're at ease. And he doesn't want his enemies. For a while I was angry, but a little. This is directed towards uh, Israel, towards uh, Jerusalem. I was only a, a little wrathful, he says. It, it punished them severely, but it didn't destroy Israel. Uh, but the nations wanted complete destruction. Uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 40, 54, 7 and 8 is, is helpful in this regard. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In a flood of fury I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness I will have compassion on you, says Yahweh your Redeemer. He says, he says I, I punished you, but I'm going to restore you remember, it's only his work because Paul says, and Isaiah said, if God didn't intervene, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. There wouldn't have been one Jewish person left on the face of the earth. They would have been devoted to destruction like the nations that they came to fight in, uh, when they first came in. God says, for a little while I was angry with you, but these other uh, nations furthered the disaster or helped increase the, the calamity. There was extreme cruelty and abuse, not only war and conquering, but treating shamefully. One of the prophecies talked about Edom and Moab. They saw that Israel was in trouble and they said, good, let's go get stuff for ourselves while they're, while they're being uh, taken. Isaiah 47, 6, you showed them no mercy on the aged you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. That's what they did. You think about uh, the Mark 13 that we're going to uh, uh, be studying. Who is in the most danger when, when Jesus says, you should pray, and who's in the most danger? Somebody with child, somebody that's nursing a child. The, the, those are the most vulnerable because the, the conquering nations didn't care. They didn't care. Pray that it's not in winter when you, when, when you don't even have time to go get your heavy clothes and prepare and here comes this army and you just have to get out. Pray it's not in winter. 
we did look at passages that talk about nations just ripping children from the womb and the, and the cruelty uh, on children always seems to be involved in uh, warfare among men. So that's verse 15. Verse 16, the promised restoration in, by Yahweh. Therefore, because of this abuse, because I see the nations, because this, he says again, thus says Yahweh. It's God's word, it's sure, and it will accomplish all his purposes. And then he gives the promise, I have returned to Jerusalem. Past tense. I've returned to Jerusalem. And he says, with compassion or with mercy. Remember, these were gracious and comforting words. And then he says, my house shall be built in it. And he's going to help them to do all that. Ezra, Nehemiah, right? We talked about, how did he get Nehemiah down there? He comes to serve. He comes to serve. And he said, he says, how come your countenance is down? Well, because my hometown is all torn up. It's, the walls are broken down. And the guy has compassion on him. You can't serve a king with a sad face. That's the idea. Esther couldn't just walk in and see the, the king. At the, at the, her life was in danger. And Mordecai says, well, maybe God raised you up. And if you die, you die. He'll deliver us some other way. He couldn't come and, you know, well, here's your, here's your drink, sir. Here's your drink, Mr. King. What are you all sad about? It was disgraceful. You had to be, you had to be cheerful in the king's presence. You had to, right? And Daniel, they, right? Oh, king, live forever, right? You had to be, hey, live forever. Live forever. You had to be happy. But God used that. One person's sadness. The next thing, there he is down there building. Sent Ezra. Sent Nehemiah. God says, my house shall be built. A physical building to, to, to promote spiritual restoration, worship, and sacrifice. And uh, Ezra 6, 13 through 21 talks about the dedication and the renewed observance uh, of the feasts, the Passover and the Feast of Booze, and they, and they take the whole week and, and they're, uh, they're celebrating when it's done. And then the promise is underscored, declares Yahweh of hosts. I'm, I'm not only going to, to command it, I'm going to see that it gets done. This is my will, and I am the ruler of everything. The repetition and the confirmation is for the encouragement of, of God's people. Yahweh knows his works and his ways are sure, but he condescends to our weakness and he repeats his name and promises. Uh, Peter had the idea at the end of his life, in 2 Peter he says, I know the time is getting near. And what am I going to do? I'm going to stir you up by way of remembrance. Oh, you're talking about that again? He says, yes, I am. And I'm not shy to do it. I'm going to stir you up by way of remembrance. What's the goal? He says, you may be able at any time to recall these things. That's what God wants for, for us. That's what God wants for you. 
that you would understand that God wants you to remember his mercy, remember his grace, so that at any time you may be able to recall these things. Oh, you don't know what's going on in my life. Well, it doesn't matter. At any time, you may be able to recall these things. God's faithfulness, God's mercy. Paul talks about, I mean, Peter talks about the, the promises that we have. Great and precious promises. Any time of your life you can remember, God's given me promises that will never, never, never fail. I might be in the hospital. I might have lost my job. I might have had this or that or this, whatever. But my salvation is built on great and precious promises. My salvation is built on all the fulfilled prophecy. In his letter, he says, there's guys who looked and looked and searched and couldn't figure it out. Their spirit was stirred. What, what's going on in my heart about the Messiah? I can't figure it out. And he says, you have the word of prophecy made more sure. Made more sure. And that's why he just says, I'm going to remind you, remind you, remind you. And then the next positive thing that's part of God's activity is a measuring line. It is going to be stretched out in verse 16d. It's another positive word from Yahweh. The building project is going to continue. And this is a positive measuring along with Yahweh's jealousy and his return and promise to build. It's as if God's saying, look, I'm so sure that this is going to happen. I'm going to pick up the, I'm going to pick up the measuring line myself. I'm going to pick up the tape myself and, and measure, right? The, that old thing, uh, measure twice, cut once. But God says, I'm going to measure. I'm going to get involved. I'm making sure this is going to happen. That's part of the blessing. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 39, Ezekiel 40, verse 3, and 47, 3 have positive words of measuring and expansion. And the, 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 the measuring in the scriptures, there's different meanings, emphases, and purposes. And, and this just seems to be to say, I'm measuring too. What are the workers going to do? Oh, hold this, will you, sir? I got to go and see how far we got to build this wall. Hold this. We got to measure this to put this in. Hold that to measure this and put that in. And God says, I'm measuring too. I'm going to do it for you as well. And, and that's what happened. Now, there are verses of negative measuring. You'll remember that we looked at some. Second Kings 21, 13. I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria. Samaria was the worst, worst place of idolatry. Ahab got there. They said 400 prophetesses of Ashtoreth sat at Jezebel's table every day. They killed hundreds of Baal prophets. It was just filled with it. And God says, I'm going to measure you with that. Because what it is, he's saying, is I think your idolatry is just as bad as that. I'm going to measure you with that. And you'll see, you're as bad as Ahab. You're as bad as them. And the plumb line of the house of Ahab, and I will, I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish. Because the measuring of all the idolatry lived up to the worst things that they, they could have. He shall stretch a line of confusion over it, and a plumb line of emptiness, Isaiah 34, 11. That's a bad measurement. 
oh, you want to go off into idolatry? I'll measure you. And the result is going to be confusion. It's supposed to show that this is straight, but it's going to show how crooked you are. And you're going to be in confusion because I'll be against you, says the Lord. Amos's vision of the plumb line, if, if you remember that. In the midst of the people Israel, the result is desolate waste and he'll rise against them with a sword. Because he measured them and said, you, you are all out of whack. You're idolaters. You don't listen to God's word. You tell the prophets, get out of here. You remember that. The guy said, look, the king's mad at you. You better, you better. Jeroboam's got up upset. You better go home. Go away. Prophesy where you came from. Amos says, I'm not a prophet or the son of the prophet. I was just watching sheep and, and getting figs ready for people to eat. But God sent me with this word. And, and our question could be to ourselves, well, how do we measure up? How do we measure in, in the light of these things? A, a positive measurement? Jesus Christ is going to build his kingdom and the gates of hell will never, uh, never go against it. That's what happens in some of the measuring. It, what do you mean? The, what do you mean? The temple's 100 miles by 100 miles? No, that's a picture of the expansion of the gospel. We'll see later. Nothing can stop the expansion of the gospel. Nothing. So here's verse 17. The call is, cry out again. It's the second time. He's to lift up his voice and call out and proclaim the message. Thus says Yahweh of hosts once again. Once again, it's a reminder. God is at the center of it. It's God's plan. It's God's work. God is doing everything. He says the cities will again overflow with prosperity. They'll be rebuilding. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 4 looks at a, a vast spiritual expansion. And he said, run, speak to that young man saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. Yahweh declares, I will be a wall of fire around her, and I'll be the glory in her midst. Though that's, that's the gospel expansion. That's the, the amazing expansion. There's no walls. It's just spreading out everywhere. The cities will overflow, and Yahweh will again comfort Zion. After the punishment, now comes the rest, refer, restoration and reformation. But remember... None of this is done without a restored, repentant people. There's no blessing without people who are following what he said. And Nehemiah and Malachi are going to show that that's what happened. There was erosion right away. Oh, they, they didn't do this. They didn't do this. And Malachi, God says, if I'm a father, where is my honor? He, he, he's pouring out his heart to these people. Yahweh of hosts, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. A number of years later, he says to them, if I'm a father, where's my honor? They, they drifted right back into the same thing. What did they bring? Are they just, oh, the, oh that, that, that lamb's a little lame. Just bring it anyway. I'm not going to go through this 300 sheep to find a perfect one. That's what, that's what they started to do. He says, I'll again choose Jerusalem, uh, chapter 2, verse 12. 
then Yahweh will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. I don't know how Yahweh inherits something, but that's what he says. It's a spiritual picture of Yahweh inheriting it. He takes it over for, him, for himself. He's saying, I'm not discovenanting you. I'm not breaking the covenant. I'm drawing you. I'm bringing you uh, back. He chose Jerusalem also to be the focal point of Jesus's ministry. In some ways, I think this is the point. The, the, Jerusalem was the focal point, but the, and the expansion came from uh, the death of Christ. Resurrection and the pouring out of the Spirit. It was the, it was the conduit of the great blessing of the gospel expansion to the entire known world at the time. But you can't have expansion of the gospel without godly men to go forth and, and, and preach and teach. That's why, that's why in a sense, we, we need the new covenant. Because everybody has to know the Lord. Everybody has to know the Lord if you're going to go throughout the whole world and teach. If, if Jerusalem has no walls and God's the glory of it and everybody's going out to spread the gospel, they have to be godly men. And it's over and over and over in the, in the scripture. What kind of people should be preachers? They, they've got to be godly men. He was faithful to his covenant. And, and everything was according to his uh, mercy. A, a tremendous spiritual picture. I'm going to inherit this. This this land is mine, and it's going to it's going to prosper uh, and expand. And we'll stop there because we're up to the vision of the horns and the craftsmen, and uh, that takes more than two minutes to to describe. But we should be encouraged. It's it's Yahweh of hosts. He says, I'm in your midst. He's in the midst of us as God's people. He's in the midst of us as those that uh, he chose to work with. He's in the midst of his church. And nothing will stop the church. You say, well, it looks kind of battered up and this and that and this. Later on, Zachar Zachariah will say, don't despise the day of small things. God is always at work. Always oh, say, we don't see much going on in Titusville, but you could be in another, you could be in another town or city in the, in the world and you'd say, wow. I've never seen the Spirit of God move like this. But it goes like the wind, doesn't it? Where did that wind come from? I don't know. Where is it going? I don't know. But the, the Lord will build his church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for these uh, merciful and comforting words. We're thankful that we have uh, Jesus Christ as our intercessor and, that intercessor and that his prayers are answered. We're thankful for the expansion of the church and your kingdom. And we pray that you would help us in some way uh, to be vehicles uh, used uh, by you for that purpose. In Christ's name we pray.